Guys, this is Mickey here talking to Jessica with the VP of Sales. V- VP of Sales, as I'm using, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> uh, no, this is a new episode of Video Vampires. Uh, this is Mickey. And Jessica. And we've got a special guest, Carrie, on the phone. Yeah, Hi. Carrie. On the phone. On the, on the line. <laughs> oh we got her on the line. <laughs> um, I'd Carrie. restart the whole thing, but I just don't have <laughs> No, to you can't. Now. You have to leave it. Um, Carrie has like this cute little shop that she's starting. If you want to talk about it really quick. Oh, oh, um, I started Sucker Punch Co. I have patches and pins online. It's very, very awesome. And I suggest you go check it out and have fun buying some shit. How would, yeah. you, how would one check it out? What, oh, where uh, would they go? www.suckerpunchco.com. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, you go ahead. So I, before we dive into your movie marathon birthday, I saw... Um, that movie Thoroughbreds. Oh yeah, I was um, Anton Yelchin and the not Heather's, but I want to see it. You know what? It is. It is like a modern type of Heather's, and that's the vibe, obviously, that you get. You know, but it is a good film about like manipulation, and um, I can't remember her name for the life of me, but she's in The Witch. Yeah, and she's in that M Night Shyamalan split or whatever. Didn't see it. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, but she's great in it, and I think that she's a great up-and-coming actress. Like, she plays these roles really well. I liked it. I f- makes me sad that Anton Yelchin isn't around anymore. I was just talking about that the other day, about how he was one of those actors that you're like, man, I haven't heard anything bad about this guy. Yeah. And he's really and then, good. And then he dies. And then he dies. And then yeah. he dies in a stupid way, and you're like, yeah, this- not that... Not that being an asshole gives you the right to die, you know, but it's like, you always hear about, like, shitty people, like, shitty direct or actors that are, like, getting away with murder, and then, like, Anton Yelchin, nice guy. I know. Everybody loved him, and then he gets hit and by then, a, a... Well, he gets pinned by his car. But, yeah, I mean, like... I know. I think about that when I'm, like, walking, you know, there's, like... I know, now I think about it all the time. You know those greats, you know, or there's, yeah. like... I, every time I walk on those, and I've been... This has been since I was, like, in my, my late you know, teens, is that it's my walk over those, I'm always afraid that it's going to just give out, mm-hmm. and I'm going to drop, and the last thing I'm going to think is, what a shitty way to die. Yeah. And I wonder if that happened. You if as the did. car was rolling. Yeah, you're like, fuck, yeah. no. That's usually what your last words really good. I know. Fuck. But that's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> fuck. Um, made a bad choice. <laughs> what else did you see? Did you see anything else? I saw, did we talk about this yet, that I saw my friend Dahmer... No, I wanted to see that. Okay, I did. I did watch it. I. It's weird. I think during the whole time, I was like, "This is fucking strange uh, to watch this, especially like when you have these like stories as a young kid, and then you know your friend becomes a serial killer, and now you like just read say these stories. It was kind of like that, but it's like also really disturbing that like." These parents just didn't care enough. Like, there was all these, like, creepy warning signs, and they're like, mm, I didn't really want so to deal was, with this. it could have been called Red Flag, the movie? Yeah. My Friend yeah. Red Flag. Yeah. 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 My Friend Report, school shooting, yeah. you know, I, now. I, I really wanted to see My Friend Dahmer. I missed I out on it when it was at Beyond Fest. Dude, that kid, I can't, I'm terrible. I should really look up people's names, but um, he was in, like, that, um, Patriot's Day with Mark Wahlberg, which actually wasn't bad. 
Um, what movie is this? It's called Patriot's Day. That's it's terrible. A, it's about the Boston bombings. <laughs> it's actually, oh, okay. it's actually not as bad as you think. But he he plays the one of the brothers in it, and he's just kind of showing up in everything. He was also in um, Thoroughbreds and stuff. Like, did I, I tell I see you him. that the Boston Marathon one of one of the suspects was apprehended outside my old apartment in Watertown? Oh, really? Yeah. You're no, like, ah, I, I know this place. Well. My my old roommate <laughs> called me up and she was like, "Uh, our apartments and our old apartments in the news." I was like, "What?" And she's like, "Did you know that they caught the Boston Marathon shooter or the bomber outside of our old apartment?" I was like, yeah. "What?" And we did not live in like a really like. I mean, it was like a it was a neighborhood, but it wasn't yeah. like a. You know, you had to. Uh, Live there? Yeah. Pretty wild. Um, <clears throat> last week, mm-hmm. I celebrated my 36th birthday. Uh, I did a little movie marathon, which you came to. Mm-hmm. We, uh, I think you you missed Border Radio. I, I know yeah. like, everybody missed Border Radio. It was me and my cat watching it. <laughs> um, and then Brother from Another Planet, which yeah. um, which is weird because that movie kind of came came like back and crept into my like peripheral again after my birthday, and I'll get into that in a second. Really? Um, yeah. Um, but then we watched uh, this Japanese film called Burst City, which uh, Burst apparently... City. Huh? Burst City? Burst City. I was like, Black City, Bomb City, something? Uh, which was this fucking red <laughs> punk Japanese punk rock film that everybody hated except for me. I didn't hate it. Oh, it's, my God. It's absurd. If you didn't read... The synopsis on Google, I would have no fucking idea what that movie was about. So what? It was rad. The music was I don't fucking know. awesome. Was, some parts were rad. That, like, there was like some good like one-liners in there that you're like, yeah. The music kicked ass. Uh, uh, I mean, yeah. Uh, what, <laughs> but there's a lot of rape in it. Well, No, there's, there's, there's not only, a lot. I, there's one woman in it, and she gets raped twice. No, the second yeah. one we don't know for sure. She was raped. She was raped and murdered. Yes. So yes. I, I mean, I don't. I don't actually paint, hate that, but they're painting this 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 area in the future of, you know, this punk rock future of Japan is a really bad, shitty area. And yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like I, I don't know. I got Neo really, Tokyo punks versus corporate versus nuclear. The Yakuza. Yeah, it's awesome. cops. I don't know. I didn't hate it. It's it just rocked. During most of it, I was like, I don't even know what's happening. But I watched the energy level of like the group just completely dive bomb after that. So that's yeah. why I was like, oh, I gotta pick it up again. So I played the movie I was gonna play last, yeah. next, which was Faster Pussycat Kill Kill, which mm-hmm. is one of my all time favorites. Oh and yeah. I feel like it kind of Taurus Satana is like such a babe. They all are, but Taurus Satana. Yeah, that's true. You, you know, and I was saying this, I mean, you know, do you ever hear about Taurus Satana's backstory? I don't know. Weren't we lightly talking about it? Kind of, yeah, I think we were. Like, how she was, um, and this, I mean, it's, it's fucked up. But, like, mm-hmm. when she was, I think she was, like, a, mm, like, 12? She was, like, young. She was, like, a junior high young, maybe even elementary <clears throat> young. Mm-hmm. She got, like, followed home by these, like, four or five dudes who's like, sexually assaulted her. Holy shit. As a kid, Yeah. So she learns fucking karate. Yeah. She learns all this stuff. And then she goes back like 10 years, 20, 10 years later, finds every one of those guys individually, beats the shit out of them, but lets them know exactly who she is uh-huh. when she's doing that's it. That's a real story? That's a Supposedly Damn. it's a real story. I mean, like, that could also be... It's an amazing yeah. story. Yeah. Like an urban legend? Urban legend. But I hope it's that true. That she started, you yeah. know, but... Off, they called her One-Eye, though, you know, just not as dark as they call her One-Eye, but has, like, the yeah. data that comes around. Oh, yeah, no, like, it was... Yeah. Was, with me, I'm gonna kick your It was ass. fucking rad, and, like, you know, and, and you... And, and, you know, in that movie, she, um... You know, she's like, she's obviously the most badass person in that whole yeah. movie. And she's got some of the best lines in the movie, including that awesome line of like, 
Are you trying to say something? I never try anything. I just do it. Like I don't beat clocks. Just people. Want to try me? <laughs> so uh, hard. Yeah, she's rad. And um, and then the girl that I didn't re- I didn't realize until afterwards. I, cause I I've found this out about a, a few times this fact, and then I always forget about it. And then so every time I reread it again, I'm like, what? But the girl that they kidnap. Yeah. In Fast Pussy Got Kill Kill, she ended up marrying um, Jason Miller, who was yeah. um, the priest in The Exorcist. Oh, oh really? She was his second wife because his oh. first his, his first wife he had a child named Jason Patrick. Okay. Uh, but when he married the woman from um, Susan Bernard from uh, Fast and Pussy Got Kill Kill, they had another kid named Joshua Miller who was in Near Dark. Oh, okay. He's the little creepy, oh, he's really? the creepy little kid who's like yeah, who shows up in Near Dark. River's Edge, all those movies, you know. Oh, that's their kid? That's their kid. That's so weird. I know. And Teen Witch? Yes, he is in Teen Witch. I always forget that, too. He plays the brother? Uh-huh. The shitty brother? Um, yeah, well, yeah, that's the thing. He plays the <laughs> shitty little kid in so many yeah. things. Um, but in, in, like, at least two of those movies, like Near Dark and River's Edge, he plays the shitty, creepy kid. Yeah. You know? Um, and then you had left, and we, we watched... Um, X, The Man with X-Ray Eyes by Roger Corman. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a good little, like, I mean, it was a good 71, 78-minute movie, you know, that yeah, kind of, like... Click. I think we closed the night on that one because I think at that point I was too drained. I was also really sick on my birthday. Nobody knew that. Really? I, you know, I, You're just inviting people over. <laughs> hey, remember Come that cold you got? Well, you I seen, know! You should have seen me the next day when I couldn't talk. Not, I didn't have a sore throat. I didn't have... I just couldn't talk. That's why I was kind of glad we didn't record a podcast because... My voice was like gone, totally but it was shot, no, yeah. it was no like I wasn't yelling, I wasn't like sick, I wasn't like I didn't have any like sore throat. I just lost my voice, uh-huh. and that carried on over till like Tuesday. But then on my <laughs> on my actual birthday, um, I got I, I watched the movie Matinee with uh, John Goodman. You ever seen that? Uh, I'm not sure. Joe Dante uh, made it. It was in the '90s. It, yeah. it, it's about the well. It's it takes place in Key West. During the Cuban Missile Crisis, and it's about it's like told from the perspective of this like, you know, young kid who's like a military brat, moving around from town to town, loves horror movies, and John Goodman plays this William Castle type character, like yeah. the director who has all the weird gimmicks and everything, and um, his new movie is going to be premiering in a week. During this whole like crazy time when everybody thinks that like at any minute the bombs could drop and we could all yeah. die, um, and so. He, you know, it's this, it's like kind of like this like family comedy, but like it's a Joe Dante film, so it kind of goes off the wall towards the end. But uh, John Sayles, who is a screenwriter and director, and who co-wrote The Howling with Joe Dante, mm-hmm. and wrote and directed and stu- and was an actor and brother from Another Planet. Yeah, he he's in Matinee, so it all came together. <laughs> Your um, master plan. My master plan of bringing everything together. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that was yeah that was my. That was the birthday marathon. It was, uh, it wasn't, it didn't go as long as I was going to go, you know? Um, but I just don't think I, it's hard to have them at your place because, like, you're just suddenly, you're like, when you're in a movie theater, it's a little bit easier because you're like, well, I have to get up and I have to go home, you know, if I want to, yeah. like, whereas when you're home, you're just like, I can just turn this off at any time. Yeah. So, um, that's why I like being home so much. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, making it through, uh, you know, what, four or five movies is pretty impressive. But before it that, is. speaking of, of uh, you know, before the <clears> marathon, like a, I think a week before, I went into the Egyptian and saw uh, 
basket case. Oh, yeah. Damage, I forgot and, we didn't talk about the... Oh, man. And, uh, you know, basket case looks... Um, it's one of those movies where you're just like, you can't imagine it would look good cleaned up because you're like... It's so... Yeah. Right. But it looks great. And it was a lot of fun to see it in the theater. I mean, all three of those movies are like three of my favorite movies of all time. Basket Case, Brain Damage, and Frankenhooker. <laughs> and um, seeing them on the big screen was just delightful. Yeah. Had and you the, ever seen them in a the big screen before? Never. That's why, really? that's why I had to go to this one. I was like, I was like I've never seen Basket Case on the big screen. Never seen, I, I was going to see Brain Damage at um, the Arrow last year. Yeah. Not the Arrow last year. It was two years ago. Oh, I was going to go to the marathon, but they played it the last, it was the last movie of the, the marathon, oh, and I was like... tired as yeah. shit, because it's all... <laughs> right, and so then, like, you know, later on, like, a few weeks later, like, me and uh, Steve Sears watched it, like, on uh, the big, on the projector, but, like, seeing it in the theater... Is different. Is way it different, is. and it's great, and, um, and then Frankenhooker just looks, it still holds up. Yeah. Um, so it was really, it was kind of, that was kind of an early birthday treat to go see those. Mm-hmm. On the big screen and everything, and I really dug that. Um, and the new DVD came out like right before, uh, right before that. So I got that, and the special features on that DVD are amazing. Like there's like this great interview with the lead actor. Uh-huh. There's also a great special feature directed by Frank Henenlotter, where the lead actor is playing the same character just twenty, you know, twenty thirty years later. Yeah, and like kind of you see where they left off and everything like that. It was a lot of fun. <clears throat> um, just great stuff. So. Moving along to yeah. our, um, speaking of birthdays, what were you doing when you were 25 years old? Dude, I don't know. <coughs> I honestly have no idea. How old am I? Oh, okay. So, I don't know. 2008 was like a weird year for me. <laughs> I don't, okay. probably being a piece of shit somewhere. 25? What, yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Um, I was two years into my small skincare business and I got a felony right before that. So I was like, oh, I'm not going to jaywalk. I'm just going to work a lot. And and it was a good time. It was a very good time. (laughs) Very safe time. Writer-director Don Coscarelli at 25 years old was working on his third feature film. Oh, that's great. And it was called Phantasm. And that's the movie we watched. 25. Yeah, that puts things into perspective. Yeah, yeah. I just I think about that when I was like when I was talking about birthdays, and I was like, oh, at twenty five, oh, I was man. definitely quitting jobs to still yeah. to do whatever I want. Twenty five like, years old, just I get think, a new one. I think I started go finally going to school. Like yeah, and I was still, I was in Connecticut. I was still selling stuff to like make money to like so I can buy stupid shit. Yeah, Don Coscarelli made Phantasm. Yeah, it was his third film. <laughs> third film. Um, a really quick backstory before we kind of dive into it. Yeah, I think, well, Carrie told me a little bit, too, about the remastered version and J.J. Abrams, which I didn't know. Absolutely, but before that, like, Don Coscarelli, when he was going to, he wanted to do a film adaptation of the movie Something Wicked This Way Comes, uh-huh. or a Bradbury book. Yeah. But somebody had already bought the rights. I think it was Disney, because Disney ended up releasing it. Mm-hmm. So he decided he was going to just kind of take bits and pieces and write a different story, and he writes this story called Morningside, which is this, like, epic, um, epic, you know, horror fantasy thing that, um, gets bits and bit, piece by piece, gets chopped up and turns into Phantasm, which, mm-hmm. um, before, you know, I, going further, there's this, there is a book called, uh, Phantasm Exhumed, like, yeah. Dustin McNeil, and I got it, like, I got it right before Ravager came, like, a few years before Ravager came out, 
finally. And uh, right when Ravager got announced, that being the fifth Phantasm film, that is a great book. It is there even if you know a lot about Phantasm, there's still you're gonna find stuff in it that you never knew because it's about all the Phantasm films. Yeah. <laughs> the behind the scenes, like how Michael Baldwin worked with, uh, who played Mike and. Phantasm, how he worked with Don Coscarelli on his second feature film, and that was part of the mm-hmm. whole thing. And it's really cool because they, you know, aside from Don Coscarelli, they interview every single person. They even got Angus Scrim to um, write a, uh, you know, a foreword before. This is obviously before he died, you know. Yeah. Um, but it's a really great, great reading. I'll pick it up here and there and just flip great, through it. A great reading. Yeah, some great, some, some great pictures. Yeah. Um, but yes, uh, Carrie, tell us about this 4K restoration before we go into the... Uh... Well, it was kind of awesome because very last fan fact of the Q&A was, oh, and by the way, so somebody really awesome wanted to go and uh, get a copy of this movie and called him up and was like, hey, I'm going to have a little party. And he was like, no, you can't have my movie, it's trash. And he's like, bullshit, just send your movie over and see the condition. And the condition was garbage. Mm-hmm. And he was called him up and said, your movie's trash. Let me take care of this. And what was it? He said Star Trek paid yeah. for Phantasm to get totally redone. And who was this person who called him up? <laughs> you forgot to warn me. It was J.J. Abrams. J.J. fucking um, Abrams. Which is so weird because I don't really care that much about J.J. Abrams, but that story made yeah. me kind of like him. I was like, well, oh. Yeah. Did you know you saw the last, the last, you know, the last two Star Wars films, including the one J.J. Abrams did? Yeah. Um, Gwendolyn Christie, mm-hmm. uh, Brienne's character, Captain yeah. Phasma, was named after Phantasm. Because really? J.J. Abrams awesome. was a huge Phantasm That's fan. so weird. I mean, it isn't, but I guess it is, you know. I think it's cute. I do, it too. It is cute. I do, too. It is cute. It's, it's you know, because it's weird watching this now, because, like, you forget, like, what this must have been like watching it. In 1979. Yeah. You know. Which is great. There's a piece, there's like a few one-liners that like work. Plus, it is very like, the, oh, I love when they say like mother, uh. you know. <laughs> but um, my favorite part is like the kid when he finally sees the guy and he's he looks at him and goes, um, <laughs> like, oh, oh shit. shit. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it's so perfect because I feel like that's such a natural response to be like, uh, and then you're just like, I'm not gonna fucking win this. Like, well, that's not, shit. I love that too. Like, so yeah. Phantasm is about this this kid Mike who is terrified that his older brother Jody. They're orphans. Yeah, now. their parents had passed away or died. Um, he's terrified that his bro- his older brother Jody's gonna leave without him. You know, mm-hmm. basically like you know go on the road without him and leave him all alone. And so he's constantly following his brother around. Strange things are going around going on in this town. Uh, at the, specifically at the um, local cemetery, uh, Morningside Cemetery, and there is a suspicious tall man who is, uh, you know, very, I don't know what, what can you say, like, being very suspicious? Because, like, if you think yeah. about it, what is he doing that's, I mean, up I until, like, Mike really gets involved, like, what is the tall man doing, like, over, overtly, yeah, he's, <laughs> he's lifting shit up and he's putting stuff away in the, the, the yeah. house, like, in a ways that nobody he, can. He, like, stops in front of, like, the ice cream truck for a moment and, like... <laughs> and you're like, what the fuck uh, is Well, here? you know, it's funny because that's actually a scene that's been under a lot of debate because... What, the really? Inten- yes, because the intention of the scene, what audiences didn't get and what they were intending to do, and they kind of clarify it in the later mm-hmm. movies, is that he's reacting negatively to the cold. 
because okay. the tall man hates cold. Because, yeah. you know, the... So, aside from the tall man being weird, and then little Jawas running around, and it's uh-huh. funny because um, they were filming Phantasm. They were working on Phantasm, like, sporadically, like, every on weekends, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Right down to when, even going as far as back to when Star Wars was being filmed. Yeah. So when Star Wars comes out, and they're still working on Phantasm, they see the Jawas, and they see their little dwarves, and then they're like, fuck, you know? Yeah. Uh, also, originally, the, the sphere, the, the very famous sphere, was supposed to be, like, a ball with a needle sticking out of it, mm-hmm. like a syringe, but in Star Wars... Oh, yeah. There's, like, a, mm-hmm. a giant black ball that has a needle at the end of it, so it's in, I don't know how it's supposed to interrogate Princess Leia, whatever, but <laughs> they saw they were like, fuck! We so gotta we gotta change this. it up. So yeah. that's how far back they were working on it. But they were working on it on weekends because it was a low budget film, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, that's so yeah. So Mike notices a tall man, little dwarfs in hoods running around the cemetery <laughs> doing weird shit. And what be you know what happens after that is this like crazy like kids adventure film. Yeah, it you is. <laughs> it's like a a dream nightmare adventure. Yes, and and, and that's what I, one of the things I love about it is that like there's that scene where like. I don't know, there's something about, like, the idea, like, like, the little kid, like, you know, sneaking out of the house, putting the knife in his, like, sock, yeah. and, like, sneaking out, because, like, no, and, and go to deal with something that adults aren't going to deal with, you know? Yeah. I really, I just love that, that feeling of, like, you know, I loved sneaking out as a kid, now it's, like, sneaking out and doing something really cool, as opposed to sneaking out and meeting up somewhere to talk to your friend and be like, yeah. hey, what's going on? Yeah. How you doing? Yeah. Cool. With a flashlight. Like, hey guys. my best friend in high school, her and I used to sneak out. We used to meet up in the cemetery because it was a halfway. Yeah. But all we do is be like, hey, what's going on? Yeah. And just, it was just like, wow, we're sne- we snuck yeah, out. Yeah, we or, did it. Yeah, you know? <laughs> uh, whereas, he, you know, Mike's sneaking out to do something fucking badass. Um, and there's just so many great, like, dated moments in this. I mean, it really is dated. Yeah. Like, um, two dudes just jamming on the guitar. Oh, it's perfect. So, I love it. I mean, it, it, it kind of sets up, like, a... Uh, foreshadow something towards the end. Yeah. But they have this whole song before we get to that little, that tiny little two-second thing that we're going to follow <laughs> up with later on in the movie. But um, that's the other thing, too, is that, like, a lot of these people, like, they brought their own personalities. And, you know, Don yeah. Coscarelli, aside from, I think, the Jody character, um, Mike ba- Michael Baldwin played Mike, and he, mm-hmm. I think the part was written for him. Um Reggie Bannister plays Reggie, and again, the part is remember him, but like, they bring, like, I think when they, I'm sure when they auditioned um, Bill Thornbury for the older brother Jody, they were like, so, what do you like? He's like, oh, I'm a, I'm a guitar player. He's like, great, we're going to write that in. Yeah. You know, so, like, everybody's kind of playing themselves in this weird <laughs> fantasy horror that's that's awesome. Um, also, like, some references to, like, a lot of cool pop culture stuff that, yeah. like, like, Dune, which wasn't even made into a film yet, it was still... A you know a classic book from the '60s. There's two references to that. There's mm-hmm. the weird box that again has nothing to do with anything else in the movie. I don't care what anybody says. Well, uh, they flash uh... back to it. Fuck it. It's it, <laughs> no way, no way. And then and then the fact that the bar is called Dunes Canyon. Yeah. You know. Um. But I don't know. Like I I, I love this movie. I I really liked as. I like the idea of, like, a really smart kid protagonist, you know? I mean, aside yeah. from the whole flashlight thing that you called out. Yeah, like The part where he sneaks in the basement, and she's like, like come on, Carl, you going to bring a flashlight? <laughs> and it's like, you know, aside from that, he's actually a really smart he kid. He is. He's pretty, he's a pretty tough <laughs> kid, you know, considering all the nightmarish things that he had to deal with. Right, and um, he's like, you know, he builds that fucking badass hammer shotgun. Yeah, okay, I was, th- I was like, that kid's going to blow his hands off, you know? But, like... <laughs> Um, 
He he made it work. <laughs> he does. And I wonder if that ever got like um, you know, the debunked. Like is that a real can someone really actually, do that? I, I you can really make awesome stuff like Yeah, that. But, but I mean without that, blowing your hands. I'm not gonna that. lie, I think Mythbusters actually did. That's what I'm at. Did 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 they? That. I'm gonna find did. it. Um, <coughs> it is, it is such a good, and it still looked really cool, like, you know, those certain scenes, like, the scenes in, um, the mortuary or wherever, yeah. and the one, like, outside of the house with the tall man and the knife, and it's windy, and the, you know, Reggie's on the ground, it looks so right. cool, even, like, the, the flipped ice cream truck in the dark, like, those things, like, are just so iconic, and, like, it and really still holds up. Don Coscarelli's got an eye, you know, and then, yeah. here's the thing, too, is that, like, and I think it's a testament to his acting, because, I mean, it's kind of, like, um, overshadowed by the character, but Angus Scrim plays the tall man. Angus Scrim in real life, like, one of the nicest people in the world. Cute. So for him to play this character and to play him, like, so, like... And, yeah. I mean, and just play... I mean, it's a little hokey, because he does, like, those facial expressions, like, those, like, weird grimaces where his, like, lower teeth are, like, jutting out, you yeah. know? Like, but um, to him, for him to play this villain is... Um, is so rad because like he's just he's you buy it you believe him you you towards the end when yeah. like when when he you know Mike is being chased by him like you believe this guy's a threat whereas in real life Angus Scrim was like a nice dude who again worked with Don Coscarelli I think on his on his first two films and was writing liner notes for like classical albums and mm-hmm. I think he was either nominated or won a Grammy for liner notes oh, really? under his actual name not under Angus Scrim which is like yeah. uh, I think his real name is Lawrence Guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Angus Scrim just sounds some way way cooler. Yeah. But um, yeah. I mean, like the thing about this movie too, and I'll I'll, I'll paint a picture. Like I hadn't seen Phantasm one probably in the years. longest yeah. years. Uh, back in two thousand, we talked about this. We um, did we? Well, probably. kind of. One because I was talking about how it was a Halloween night. It was in um, Somerville. Mm-hmm. It was in Davis Square in in Massachusetts. And um, they were the Somerville Theater was playing, or the theater in Davis Square was playing Halloween. Yeah. And half of us were going to go see Halloween because it was Halloween, and you fucking see Halloween. Yeah, on Halloween. And then the other half were people were going to see some weird movie that had just come out called Saul. And I was like, "Well, that movie ain't gonna go anywhere. I'm gonna go see <laughs> Halloween." And the funny thing is, I had rented Phantasm because I hadn't seen it in so long, and like to the point where I think I forgot. I just remembered like snippets, you know. Yeah. But, you know, I rented it, and I had it at my at my apartment waiting for me. This is, again, this is like 2001, two, three? Yeah. Um, whenever Saw 1 came out. Oh, yeah. Right? So, I go to the see Halloween. Before they play, before the movie, they play trailers. And they played the trailer for Phantasm, which I still think is one of the best trailers. In fact, all of the Phantasm trailers all have, like, this unifying theme. Mm-hmm. You know, like, they all, you could watch all four <laughs> of them. You know, well, yeah. not counting five. You watch all four of them, and you, like, you're like, wait, didn't I just watch this? And then you realize you're watching a trailer for another movie, you know? But um, the first trailer has just, like, you know, it has the whole blurb, you know, the narrator, which is fucking great. I, I insist. And then you've got <laughs> that scene where Angus Scrim is just walking in slow motion down, like, yeah. the hallway. And I was like, fuck, I can't wait to get home to watch this. And, and I did, and I was like, oh, my God, like, this movie's so fucking, like, bizarre. Yeah. Because it's not, it's, it's, it abandoned, it's weird, it's one of those, like, it's kind of like an Argento film where it abandons logic, like, at the door, you're just like, um, Yeah, you're kind of just in it. But it's not, it's weird, because, like, um, where, where, like, Argento is more, like, style, mm-hmm. and he, he dismisses logic, and he's all about style, and 
you know, you're, the characters kind of take a backseat. This is kind of like, same thing where it abandons logic, but it's less about style and more about the characters. Like, you get, yeah. you get more invested in the characters even when something weird happens and you're like, wait a second, how did this happen to this? Yeah. Or this you don't care because you're so, like, you're so invested in the characters. Like, yeah. you really buy mm-hmm. the relationship between Mike and Jody. And, yeah. and then you even buy their relationship with... with Reggie, the ice cream man. Yeah, honestly, at first I was kind of like, what the fuck? And Uh, then now... What what did you say at first, actually? You said he looks like a... Yeah, he does. He looks like a mix between, you know, the brother-in-law DEH and from Breaking Bad and um, that dude from... uh, Anchorman. Yeah, but what's his character's name? The one with the who's where he's wearing the fucking cow- oh is he uh, wearing yeah. cowboy hat yeah and um, well him he looks exactly like those two if those <laughs> two men had a baby together that's him well then you'll be happy to find out that Reggie Bannister actually becomes a massive part of the franchise like to the point really? where yes so, I ha- I can't yeah I can't. Uh, this is the same Reggie who says like okay I see it I see it all now. What we gotta do is we gotta snag that tall dude and stomp the shit out of him. Like, all right, he's he has this idea, and he's then got it's a like, plan. I'm gonna stomp the shit out of him, and you're like, yeah, that's actually the first thought that you would have. Yeah. Like, well, but, we're gonna just stomp the shit out of this creepy ass dude. Great build up, yeah. poor follow up. Yeah. Um, but no, in, so in Phantasm, it's weird because like you know, uh, Phantasm one ends a very specific way where you're like, okay, this is what's happened. Yeah. And then we get Phantasm two, which kind of picks up right after Phantasm 1. I, I personally, I know a lot, there's a lot of Phantasm fans who hate 2. Yeah. I love 2. I really? think 2 is so much fun. Um, yes, I'm bummed out that James Legro takes over the character of Mike. Yeah. Um, Reggie plays himself. Reggie's back in it. Still Reggie. Yeah, and what's cool about that one is that they, you know, it takes place right after the first Phantasm, and then it jumps forward 10 years, I think, and Mike gets out of a, a, a hospital, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's hospital. what happens. Because that's yeah. what happens when you're running around saying the tall man is yeah. and dwarves are, are uh, right. Stealing dead bodies and making them as slaves, yeah. Yeah, I guess, mm-hmm. in a weird planet that you yeah. can't, yeah, that doesn't exist. <laughs> um, but they, they, they start going on this road trip and they start finding out that all these towns have been, like, abandoned and wiped out by the tall man. And, like, uh-huh. and they're just like, and it's just, it's, it's, they're, so they're going, it's like this weird road trip movie where every destination they hit is, like, wiped out by the tall man. And uh, I think that's the introduction of the uh, four-barreled shotgun yeah. in the franchise where, like, Reggie, like, takes two shotguns and tapes them to, you yeah. know, uh, <laughs> makes him badass. I mean, like, it gets it, it gets a little bit more action-oriented. Yeah. Uh, and then three and four, Michael Baldwin comes back, comes back to play the character of Mike. Bill Thornberry comes back to play the ghost of Jody, who's aged... Okay. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm saying is that, like, you, you stop, you, you can't think of it, like, linearly or logically. Yeah. You, but you, you still, what's really cool is that, like, what I like about the Phantasm films is that they don't care about logic, they're all about emotion. Mm-hmm. Like, you get so, you care so much about the characters, which is why Ra- uh, Phantasm Five kind of falls apart because yeah <laughs> um, there's bits and pieces where because of Phantasm like, V well no I mean, cause <laughs> thing, there are some great moments in Phantasm V and if you're sitting there wondering like what could they do with this franchise like Phantasm V actually has some really clever ideas but then there's moments where you're like why the fuck is this happening like yeah. I don't care I don't care about this character I don't care about what's happening here um, some of the best moments in Phantasm V though are like um, 
Michael uh, or Mike and uh, Reggie and like there's a hostage there's this whole like plot line that I don't want to give anything away if you haven't seen Phantasm Five, but there's this whole like <laughs> I haven't is this really happening or is this Reggie's dream? Yeah, okay. you know, which is a really cool idea of like that the entire franchise is Re- is Reggie trying to deal with something. Yeah, um, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it, it kind of takes that like Reggie becomes the big the big focal of point of a uh, part five, but um, there's this there's a few scenes where like. So there's, like, all these different realities that are happening in Phantasm Five, And mm-hmm. one of the realities is that Reggie's in a, in a insane asylum or in a mental hospital dying. Um, or no, maybe he's, not, maybe he's not in a mental hospital. Maybe he's just, just dying. Just a regular, he's a regular hospital, hospital. Yeah. He's dying. One of his neighbors in the hospital is an old man, an old tall man, who's uh, played by Angus Strim. Yeah. Um, but there's these scenes between Mike, who's, who constantly comes to visit Reggie, and he's mm-hmm. constantly like, hey... You know, kind of playing the the character that Reggie plays at the end of Phantasm One, where he's like, "This is all bullshit. Like, this is all dream." You know, like I care about you. I'm worried about you. And it's just kind of touching, like reversal of roles that like is yeah. really um, sweet. But yeah, I mean, it's it, it's watching this again and like again all the the dated things. You know, that the the jam session. Yeah. The jam session. The um. But I like that. It's rad. It's I would. <laughs> it wouldn't work in any other movie. It really wouldn't, you know? Like, having two fucking dudes, one guy who apparently wears his Rolling Stone shirt, like, every day of his life. Yeah, I mean, when you have a cool shirt, though, you like to wear it. Did you notice that there was a lot of Dos Equis in that movie? Yes. Because they had a sponsorship deal. Obviously. (laughs) There's there's a great scene. Not like Dos Equis is that bad. No, but there's a great scene in the the end of the movie when, like, uh, Mike picks up, like, a picture of his brother. And he's just, like, kicking back with a guitar, a dog, and Dos Equis, like, right (laughs) at his side. Yeah, chilling. Um, <laughs> but it's it's not hard to see why this movie was so iconic. Because, yeah. Because, like, it, it really kind of was, um, again, it, it brought, like, different bits and pieces of a lot of, like, great horror genres yeah. and, and horror um, films. Like, you know, like I said, it has an Argento feel to it, but mm-hmm. it also has, you know, references to, like, you know, uh, Dune. It's also a coming-of-age story. Um, the soundtrack... By Fred Myro and uh, Meinow and uh, Malcolm Seagrave. Yeah, we were talking about that at the beginning. Fucking amazing. It is. It amazing. sounds kind of like Goblin at some point. It does. Yeah. It does. It actually sounds like the, the theme to Suspiria. Yeah, it does. I actually made a mix for a friend of mine for his birthday, and I actually mixed the two. Uh-huh. So I, I, at one point, one beat, I had, had one track fade out and one track in. fade in, and it was like almost seamless. Yeah. Um, yes. So there you go. You, you, there's a lot of um, Argento in that as well. Mm-hmm. But there's definitely something about Don Coscarelli. Don Coscarelli just, no matter um, what movie he's doing, he's just he comes off as like a big kid who's still making these things. I mean, like, what did he do after yeah. Phantasm? He did Beastmaster. Yeah. Uh, then Phantasm Two, then Survival Quest, then Phantasm Three, Four, Bubba Hotep. Mm-hmm. God, uh, I love that movie. Yes, so and Bubba Hotep is another one of those movies where like. It's funny, but it's also really like sad and it's sweet, totally you know. Touching, yeah. Like it's really touching, and like I think that's Don Coscarelli's strong point is that he's really good at like he's not good at, at storytelling as much as he's good at, at getting you emotionally invested yeah. in characters. You know, it's like real life horror of yeah. your abandonment, your grief, your yeah, getting exactly. old, your forgetting. You know, this is what you're gonna look forward to, right? Boo, yeah. And then that's what and that's what Phantasm has too, where he's like, you know, it's it come with it boils down to is this. This kid who's already lost his parents and is afraid he's going to lose his brother. Yeah. That's really, like, that's a really Yeah, that's dark. Well, it's dark, though, too. Yeah. Because, obviously, the kid is obsessed to the point where he's following his brother everywhere sure. he goes. 
Um, <laughs> the hardest part is when he gets locked in the room and he bangs and he screams, don't leave me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I just want to be left behind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's scared. And like, that's a really, yeah. Real. Yeah. You know, and that's what I, that's what I like <laughs> is that he's really good at making a, like, characters that you will care about. Even if the sto- even if the plots themselves, it's kind of nonsensical. Yeah. It's like you don't care because the characters are so real, real, and and you know you're so emotionally invested in that you can you relate to them even if you're like, what the fuck is going <laughs> yeah. on? You know, like wait, wait, why is this? Why is the ice cream man involved in this all of a sudden? And like, and who are these two ladies who are running antique shop? Yeah. And a lot there's things too. And if you watch when you watch it again, knowing this, there's a lot of stuff. That they chopped up. They yeah. Ran. So there's a whole subplot with the the two, the two sisters and the two girls who ran the antique shop. Yeah. Um, the fortune teller mm-hmm. and her uh the, and Daughter, her granddaughter. Or, yeah, granddaughter. Whole bunch of stuff. Here's another interesting thing though: is Phantasm Four. This is awesome. I don't think any other franchise has ever done this. Phantasm Four took deleted scenes from Phantasm One uh-huh. and worked them into the story of. Uh, Phantasm Four. So there's like there's moments That's in Phantasm Four, yeah, where they like it's kind of dealing with like time travel. Yeah. And like, like how like you know something pieces. you affect here affects here, uh-huh. and they really work. So there's a you know, and I'm not giving anything away because it still doesn't make any sense. But there's, <laughs> there's a scene in Phantasm Four towards the end where like Michael now or Reggie now or somebody now says something in the future or yells something. Yeah. And then you go back and then you cut to like. Footage from like deleted footage from Phantasm One when Michael and Reggie are just driving mm-hmm. and he hears something but he can't pl- he just hears something on the wind yeah, and he's like what, what he's it like is. oh it must have been something else you know and it's just this holy shit in fact I would say that they, nobody's done that since again until the reboot of Twin Peaks or the remake or the, oh. the, the new series Twin Peaks where they take footage from Firewalk with me and they work it into the story almost mm-hmm. like holy shit that's what was going on the whole time you know yeah. Um, so, it's, you know, that's another great thing about, the, again, the Phantasm franchise is that aside from the second one, everybody comes back. Yeah. And, plays, and that was what made Phantasm Five such a great payoff, mm-hmm. is that everybody, like, all the side characters from Phantasms 3 and Team. 4 come back to, like, for one last hurrah. And, like, Phantasm Five ends the franchise on, like, a maybe good note, maybe positive, maybe, you know. So, it's, I think it's worth seeing. To kind of wrap up the Phantasm. All of them or just Phantasm 4? I think you or should, 5. I think you should watch all of them. I, th- I think Phantasm 2, like I said, it gets its detractors, but I think that's it's a fucking rad movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was originally Roger Avery, who co-wrote, you know, Pulp Fiction and yeah. a bunch of other stuff. Um, he had written a screenplay. They were, they were trying to make a Phantasm 5 for a long time. He had actually written a screenplay for Phantasm 4. They ended up making... Bits and pieces of his screenplay, I think, make it into Phantasm Ravager. Mm-hmm. But um, there was originally a draft of Ravager where um, it was going to deal with alternate dimensions. So it was going to yeah. explain why James Legro plays Mike in one, and, oh. and and like and they were and they were hoping to get him back so they could have a scene where like it was kind of like it, a, those two meet. <laughs> that would be funny. like kind of like a good Spock, evil Kirk, or evil, yeah. evil, evil Spock, yeah. you know, like type of thing, you know. Um, so. I mean, again, that's such a, it's such a rich franchise that some guy started when he was 25 years old. And yeah. Just, um, and they're all independent. I yeah. mean, aside from the second one, which was funded by Universal, which is why James Legro gets recast, or, or Mike gets recast as James Legro, um, these are all independent films. Yeah. They're all made on, you know, 
So they have complete control, which is why they're so... Good. And yeah. nonsensical. Nah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Yeah. What are your well, thoughts? Cool. I mean, it, the same as, like, what we've already said. It's It still stands up as, like, a, a movie, you know what I mean? Even though it's dated in some parts, it's still, like, a really good watch. Yeah. Okay. I, it's... It was fun when I was a kid and freaked me out, mm-hmm. you know? It was fun to laugh at later. Yeah. yeah. And now I'm like, oh, I deal with grief, too. I yeah. <laughs> issues and yeah. problems. Yeah. You see it differently, yeah. too, as an adult. And personally, like, for a movie that you end and find out, like, it was all a dream. It's or was one of the, it? Or was it? Yeah. yeah. That was the one that I'm like, yay. Because nowadays I'm like, fuck you, you fuck, waste yeah. my fucking time, yeah. you know? <laughs> With this so bullshit. This one, it got me because, if anything, it was low-key just really creepy. There were yeah. always yeah. things I took from that. Like, after that as a kid, I love hearing clank, clank, people in dress shoes stepping in places. I'm like, yeah. ooh, this is nice, <laughs> you know? Going into mausoleums to be like, hmm. Quiet, no spheres, right? Right. Nothing I crazy. love that sphere. And let's talk about yeah, the special effects in nineteen mid seventies, mid to late seventies yeah. on an independent <clears throat> film. Fantastic. Yeah, that sphere scene was really great because it's like really brutal out of nowhere, yeah, like <laughs> and then it guy. comes up and they're just like spurting <laughs> their little hole, and you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It what a great. It is a great movie. A great adventure horror. And I, I like what you said, Carrie. Horror, horror. Like it, it, it definitely it has different. You have different responses depending on when you see yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. As a kid, it's like a creepy movie, and you're an you're adult, you're like, this is hilarious. Because there are some unintentional moments. Like, I showed it to a friend of mine um, right after I watched that Halloween night and everything like that. I was like, you got to see this fucking movie. I hadn't seen this so long. you got to watch it. And I showed it to him. And he, of course, is like nitpicking it. And at one point, he's like, hey, pause the camera for a second. I pause the, pause the DVD, and I pause it. And there's like a scene <laughs> where like, it's the scene with Reggie. He's talking to Mike, but he's got his hand like, right here on, on Mike's lap. And I, it's not meant to be anything, yeah. but you're just but, like, God, it was a bad placement. You, yeah. you placed your hand in the wrong spot. But of course, like, so you'll have people that are going to nitpick and, and yeah. crack wise about it, and then you say when you get a certain age, you're like, oh, fuck. Like, I get it, you know? Yeah. Like, so, I like that, and I think that that kind of carries through in all the Phantasm films. So, any, uh, any other... We're doing a double feature next episode. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. A lot my of talking about soundtracks. Oh, the soundtrack? Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. My favorite. We're going to do... Should we spill it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to do Demon Knight and Bordello of Blood double feature. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. One... Billy, it, Billy Zane is it. so seductive in Demon Knight. I described it when we were Can't doing, wait to watch him again. We did soft the, voice. Yeah, he's rad. I, I love Billy Zane. Face, soft voice. <laughs> People give him a hard time for Twin Peaks. I mean, not Twin Peaks. Well, he was in Twin Peaks, but Titanic. And I'm like, this guy was in fucking Demon Knight. Yeah. Um, but I mentioned this during the Fright Night podcast uh, where I said, you know, you know, Demon Knight is like good, like good, it's Guisados. It's good Mexican food. Yeah. And Bordello Blood is Taco Bell. Yeah. And they're both enjoyable. Yeah, it's true. It, it's true. So I can. All right. Re- so that's our next. And you can imagine what we're going to be ordering food wise. when Yeah. We Stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys, uh, see you then. Bye. Bye. Phantasm, the film that puts the fun in funeral.
And as for a fiendish story, it does have a burial plot. Come prepared to scream, because if this one doesn't scare you, you're already dead. Phantasm from AFCO Embassy Pictures. Rated R under 17, not admitted without parent or guardian. Oh, midnight pre-